0: Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystoryatsummitsa.com and let us know what he's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. This is part three in a series we call Life Together and it's about the power of connections. Good connections, bad connections, affect your future and a portion of your destiny. So it's real important who you connect with, who God connects you to, and what you disconnect from. Here is our text, Psalms 68, verse 6, and Psalms 92. Psalm 68, 6 says, God sets the solitary in families. So God doesn't want you alone. He puts people together. Psalms 92, verse 12 through 14. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted or connected in the house of God shall flourish in the courts of our God. That sounds good to me. I, I like anything with flourishing. Yeah. I like, I like uh, growing like a cedar. And then it says, they shall bear fruit in old age not slobber and drool they shall be fresh and flourishing even in old age i like all that as my pal up in dallas says get you some of that that's good but there's a condition getting connected getting planted so we learned that god never intended for anybody to succeed alone We said there's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. Everybody has had input, addition. Somebody took interest in you, added value to you in some way, helped you in some way. So everybody is assigned to be connected to specific people that God ordains. Now, that's if you're a believer. Believe that. God designed certain people to be involved in your life in order for you to reach the fullness of your destiny. Your God-ordained connections are not optional. It's not take it or leave it. They are definitely essential part of your destiny. And if you tamper with them, you could abort, at least in part, your destiny on earth. Luke 15 is our text for today. Luke 15, it's a familiar story, but I'm going to do something with it. It's about the prodigal son. Verse 11 through 24. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So the dad divided the goods. And not many days after, the younger son gathered everything together, went off to a far country, wasted everything he had with prodigal living. But when he had spent everything, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and connected himself to a citizen of that country, and that guy sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He would gladly have filled his stomach with pig food, but nobody gave him anything. Notice this guy is a give-me person. He's never shared with anybody else, helped anybody else, thought about anybody else, given to anybody else, and now you reap what you sow. Nobody gives him anything in his hour of need. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and spare, and I'm starving. I will arise, go back to my father, reconnect, and say to him, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Then he arose and came to his father. But when the father saw him far off, he had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am not even worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on his feet, put a ring in his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, but he's now alive, he was lost, he's now found. And they began to be merry. Notice verse 12. The younger son went to the father and said, give me what is mine. And the father agreed and divided the inheritance. That son was breaking the custom, the Hebrew custom of that day. To ask for an inheritance before the the father died was saying, I wish you were already dead. The father would have to sell off the lands, the estate, the livestock in order to split and divide his inheritance. And the father did. It was unthinkable in that culture. It would have brought great shame to the family. Notice the attitude and spirit of the son. Self-centered, self-seeking, give me. Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians with that attitude in the church. Give me. Dear Lord, my name is Jimmy. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah. But God doesn't want his kids raised on a give me spirit. He wants us raised on a make me spirit. First, God wants to make you then give you first we become then we possess in Matthew 6 verse 33 seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all this other stuff will be added to you in Genesis 1:26 God said come let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have did you see that first make then have See, when Jesus called the disciples, he didn't say, follow me and I'll give you. He said, follow me and I'll make you. When you come to God, the first thing he wants to do is make you. Now, this kid was so wrapped up in himself, he missed his make me opportunity. Now, fortunately, later on, he gets a revelation and comes to his senses. Because after he comes to himself, he goes back home to reconnect And in verse 18, it says, He said to his father, Make me like one of your servants. He starts off with give me, but he ends up make me. Notice he had to start from the bottom. Don't get so hung up on what you can get. Focus on what you can become. What you're becoming is more important than what you are doing. And who you become will ultimately determine what you get. I think most people in our culture in America think the opposite. We think that what we get determines what we become. But God doesn't operate that way. God says you become great as a person and all you want will come after you. Because what you get can always run out. But what you become is yours for life. And nobody can take what you know and what you are from you. You can make it back, whatever you've lost. And John... 1, verse 10, it says Jesus was in the world, the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came to His own, His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. The first thing God hands you when you give your heart to Him is power to become. Because the moment you've got the power to become, you can become anything He says you are and you can have. I don't want to be a church that produces a bunch of uh, weak, give-me Christians. They end up being fearful, they're non-courageous, and they're weak. Instead, let's be a church that raises make-me believers. It'll be strong. The give-me Christian is always less relevant in society than a make-me believer. Give-me people are usually self-centered, inward looking. They never think about becoming a blessing or helping anybody else. It's all about me. What did God say to Abraham in Genesis 1 and Genesis 12? Forgive me. He said, I will make you a great nation and you will be a blessing to all nations of the earth. So the prodigal son got all the money, but with no character when the money ran out, he had nothing to fall back on. Then he went back to his father's house to be made. You know, he, he could have, if he had been made, made the money back. The nice thing about what you know and what you can do and who you are is you can lose a house, you can lose a job, you can lose a lot of things, but you can't lose that. And that's always going to work for me, no matter what the economy does or what happens in a situation, I can make it back because I've got better wisdom today than I had when I started, and it won't even take as long. I've thought about doing church. If I could go back 30 years and start over, oh Jesus, would you do anything different? Oh, sit down, pull up a chair and I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, so I'm never gonna be unemployed and if you'll let God make you, you never will either. You'll have skill, you'll have wisdom, you'll have experience, you'll never starve to death a day in your life, it won't happen. Remember, who you are determines what you get. If you choose, you can become more than you already are. This is not the end of the line. Verse 13, the father gave to the son what he wanted, and not many days later, the young son took a journey to a far country, wasted everything that he had. And even though the father realized this boy was making a big mistake, notice he didn't try to stop him. If it, it's got to be difficult for a parent, particularly this dad, but sometimes you've got to let people go so they can make their own mistakes and learn their own hard-headed way. You know, experience is a good teacher, but oh Lord, the fees are extremely high. I would rather learn from your experience than have to make it myself, wouldn't you? That's the benefit of talking to somebody further down the road than you are. You know, if you're going to be a celebrity, you might want to check the rehab centers and see how it's going. (laughs) I want to know who I'm getting my advice from and what choices I need to make so I can stay sane, right? So he let him go. Now, some things I've discovered over, over many years here as a pastor. I've seen people come to this church with nothing, going nowhere with their life. Some of them actually sleeping in their car. But when they connect with Christ and the church... Little by little, we notice their lives start to change. Their house gets in order. There's peace in the family. Problems start to get resolved. They now have finances to care for the family, to support themselves, to honor God. They become gainfully employed. They become responsible people. Their self-esteem starts to grow. And sometimes they can't figure out how their life changed so much. They just don't seem to be able to connect the change to God, first, and then to the spiritual church where God brought them. That kind of baffles me. How easily people forget what they looked like when they first came. The right church is good for you. If you want pineapples in Alaska, they won't grow. Uh-uh. If you plant coffee trees in South Texas, they won't grow. Everybody in this room, like a plant or a fruit, has a God-ordained environment in which you are to flourish. And when you recognize the environment you're supposed to flourish in, guard that sucker jealously. That's, that's a place God planted you and wants you to flourish. Now, you know, people forget where they came from, forget what they now have, and because of some carnal or trivia thing or offense, after years, they have people then they just drop out they just leave. Now, I've learned over the years when people do it, do not try to stop them. Don't try. Although this boy comes from a great home, he's loved, he's given provision, some kind of discontent rises in him, and he convinces himself to break this connection and go on his own. And the worst people to deal with, can I tell you this, are people who come to you in church and say, God told me. Boy, my red light on my dash goes bling, 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 bling. When you hear that, listen carefully. When people say that before there's been any discussion, any questions, any prayer, there's nothing you can say. If God told you, I'm not going to open my mouth. And the reason people do it is that so you won't disagree, so they can get their way and do what they're going to do anyway. It's called religious witchcraft. God told me. Really? By yourself? Well, you don't know much about the Bible, Sparky. God says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. God does not speak to you alone. He will confirm His word with others that He's connected you to. So did you get advice? Did you pray about it? Did, it, did anybody ask you any questions? So let me give you a good thing to do when somebody pops God told me on you. When that happens, say this. If Scripture says you're wrong, or if your primary God-ordained connections say this isn't right, will you change your mind? And if they say no, meeting's over. Close the door, goodbye. Don't waste another minute of time, because it won't change anything. If people won't take a scriptural answer to a problem they have, you're done. That's it. It's over. So, don't sit for another hour. That's your time. Let them waste their time, not your time. They've already made that choice. So, the right approach is to confer with your God-ordained connections and say, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think about it? Ask people. But when people say, God told me, believe me, they left your, your office, your ministry, your group, or your church months before, Don't even try to stop them. I've seen people uproot their families for an extra hundred bucks a week and move to Utah without the slightest thought of a school for the kids or a great church for the family. And then in doing so, the outcome is often tragic and sad. I've watched others with God-related connections pray about it get conferred, God-ordained connections, approval, and when there's agreement, they leave blessed, they continue to prosper, and they even stay in touch. See, there's a proper way to disconnect when God is promoting you, when a career is moving you, uh, particularly the military. You don't even get a vote on that one, right? But when God releases you in a blessing, you are blessed coming in, you're blessed going out. But when you disconnect, and God hasn't disconnected you, oh man, things start to go bad real, real quick. So Jesus, I know you think He's metrosexual, blonde, blue-eyed, white. People, you amaze me. I, I am amazed. He's dark-skinned, black curly hair, brown eyes, Middle Easterner, Hebrew, He's not even white. And every Sunday school book I ever had, Jesus was always blonde-headed and blue-eyed. How about anybody? Doesn't that sound strange to you? You see what we've done with poor Jesus? Yeah. I bet he would stand up here and say, that's not me. Okay, now watch. What's Jesus? He didn't stop people. He didn't try to stop people when they left him. He didn't make house calls and say, oh, can we talk about it? Nope. He told the disciples, you want to leave? You go. The door's open. You can go. But Peter says, to whom? To what? To where? We can't go. We're connected to you. You have the words of eternal life. This is where our destiny is, Lord. They wouldn't disconnect. And he was giving them a hard time. Don't make the mistake thinking Peter always enjoyed being around Jesus. And may I say, you won't always like it either. Jesus wasn't the nicest person to hang around. He would confront you to your face or He would confront your hidden agenda or your carnality. Over and over He did it. On one occasion, He spoke pretty harshly. Luke 9, verse 41, you wicked and perverse generation. That wasn't politically correct. Luke 24, Jesus joins two disciples on the road of Emmaus. They've, Jesus has just risen from the dead. There's buzz. The two disciples are coming back from Jerusalem. They're talking about it. So Jesus joins them, and they don't recognize him. And he asked them, what are you guys talking about? And they told him and gave their opinion. And Jesus insulted them. He said, oh, you fools and slow of heart to believe. That's Jesus. Yeah, he's not a sweet nursery worker who'll change your diaper, burp you, and pat you on the back and massage your ego. He got in their face and told them off. Peter said, you're not going to the cross. Get behind me, Satan. This is Jesus. Jesus right? I don't know what, some of you have uh, Ricky, Ricky Bobby's Jesus, remember him? Will Ferrell, baby Jesus, teenage Jesus. What Jesus have you got? You know, if I did that, most of you wouldn't even come back next Sunday, I'd talk like that to you. And you'd be amazed at some of the ridiculous reasons people will move from their place of God-given connection. In John 6, 26, Jesus told a crowd, you're only seeking me because of the miracles of bread I'm feeding you. Verse 30, they said to him, what miracle will you perform that we may see it and believe in you? But, folks, you can find out they didn't believe anything. Miracles will not sustain you, and I can prove to you they don't produce faith. You better have something better than a miracle to sustain you in a day of adversity. And if miracle is your only emphasis, you're going to make people codependent on you, and a lot of leaders want that. But God wants a leader to empower you to do the work of the ministry. Jesus was telling this crowd, seeking miracles, instead of him, you've had enough of this give me stuff, let me give you a little of this make me stuff. And the crowd left him, said his preaching was too hard, they can't follow this guy, and they all left him. Amazing, amazing. And they saw miracles, right? When the prodigal son left home, did you notice the father didn't get worse because of it? The boy did. When you separate from a God-given connection, whether it's a relationship or where God has assigned you, even a church, if He assigns you there, the church doesn't get worse. I mean, the church wasn't built on you. It was here before you showed up. It won't collapse when you leave. Nobody's that big. When you take a plant out of the ground, what suffers, the plant or the ground? The plant. If you take a fish out of the water, what suffers, the fish or the water? The fish. It was water before the fish got there, and it's water after all the fish are gone. In the same way, when you relate to the body of Christ, to the church, you need the church. And when you disconnect yourself from that God-given connection, you lose. Just you. Now, if you disconnect where God hasn't put you, there's no problem. But when God plants you and connects you, and then you get mad or you get upset over something, and then you leave, well, then you do that in marriage, you do it in business, you do it in your job, because everybody's going to have some offense or problem. Jesus said it's inevitable offenses must come. You try to stay married with no offense. Anybody done it yet? You can't be married three days without some offense. It won't happen. You can't work with people and not have something come up that's irritate you or offend you it isn't possible some of you need rhinoceros skin you got to to work with people you got to you got to be able to kind of give and take on this deal or you won't stay married stay in a job or relationship or a church it's just a fact of life but some people i don't know you know, they're just weak people just we'd, we've just raised a bunch of everybody needs antidepressants take my job. Give you some antidepressants. Yeah. Give you some criticism. Give you some being offended. Uh, Everybody's got an opinion. (laughs) God has a wonderful plan for your life, and so does everybody else. Yeah. You better figure out which one you're going to stay with, right? So, the moment the prodigal leaves home, things didn't go bad immediately. There was a season. It looked like it might be okay. But then the money ran out. Then a famine began. And that's when the enemy jumps on you when you're totally isolated. Your resources are gone, and he strikes. So in Luke 15, verse 14, it says he began to be in want. That's a gradual process. And notice what he does next. He's disconnected from his home verse 15. Then he connects himself to a citizen of that country. When you disconnect from a God ordained connections, you will have to connect to something less. When you pluck a flower from its source, the ground, to keep a flower fresh, what do you do? You've got to put it in water. Maybe put some plant food in the water, all in an attempt to keep it fresh. Something that would have remained fresh if it hadn't been disconnected or plucked from the ground. But will, will that water ever be as good as soil for the flower? No, never. It's an inferior substitute. And when you disconnect from where God wants you to be, whatever you attach to will never be as good. So this boy was originally connected to a father who loved him, raised him, provided for him, and he threw it away to connect to a citizen who sent him straight to the pig pen. Those who won't serve God will always serve something less than God. Always. Those who won't submit to God's authority will always submit to a lesser authority. They'll get arrested by the police. If they don't obey the police, they'll be put in jail. In jail, they'll have to submit to a trustee. But somebody will always be telling you what to do. A child that refuses to obey his parents will obey a gang leader. And you better believe there's more order in a gang than there is in church. Oh, yeah. And you step out of line, you're going home in a box. Absolutely. See? So it's lesser, but it's always there. The Bible says the son gets so hungry, he ate pig food. But nobody gave him anything. Now, that did not have to happen. When there's a crisis in your life, and there's nobody around to help you, ask yourself, what relationship did I make the mistake of disconnecting from? Because God never designed for anybody to walk alone in a time of adversity. Remember our text, Psalm 68? He sets the solitary in families. So if you're out there alone, and there's nobody to help you, duh, look in the mirror. You need to retrace your steps and go back to where you disconnected, because God didn't do that. God does not leave people alone. God has planned for people to be in your life. And before crisis hits your life, God put people around you to support you, strengthen you, and help you in your time of adversity. So in a time of need, look around. And if there's nobody to help you, wake up. Retrace your steps. Walk back and find out where you disconnected. Verse 17, he came to his senses. He finally woke up. I don't know what he had been smoking, but his decision to leave home was irrational. It lacked sound judgment and a lack of perspective. So he he buys into the myth, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, but it's got weeds too, and the grass is going to be green wherever you water it. It's just that simple. It's never better on the other side of the fence. And that, thank you. It's true. And that relates to the church. It relates to marriage. And, you know, once you leave that marriage and you marry somebody else, you're still taking you right into it. That's one common factor with all your drama. You're always in it. (laughs) Yeah. When the devil wants to uproot you from God's place of connection, he starts getting you discontented about everything around you. You don't like your wife anymore. You don't like your job anymore. You don't like your friends anymore. You don't like your church anymore. And all of a sudden, you can't see anything good in anything going on, whether it's your spouse or a church, and all you see is negative. Here's a good suggestion from years of experience. Calm yourself down. Time out, cowboys. Bench yourself. Take a deep breath. You're about to make a decision or a speech that you're going to regret the rest of your life. Don't do it. So there are people who have left jobs for some silly reason or dysfunction. It had benefit. It was a great job. Most people would love to have had it. And then they can't get reemployed. And then they can't get a job that pays what they had. And they didn't think about it before they disconnected. But like I said, I say it all the time. You know, you get mad and make a decision when you're mad. You'll make the best speech. You'll regret the rest of your life. Don't do it. Don't be angry. We all get angry, but don't sin. Calm down. The worst time to make a decision for me is when I'm mad. Just wait. Just wait. The worst time to buy something expensive is when you're hot. Just go cool down 24 hours and see if you feel the same way about it. Really. I mean, that's, that's part of our human nature. Just some wisdom about it. Don't do that so quickly because they were right where God wanted them to be, and the enemy got them discontented and unhappy, and they disconnected. Paul said, I've learned in all things how to be abased and how to abound. When things are not going good, I know a peace called contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So he came to his senses. And when you're not thinking straight, you take a lot of things for granted. You fail to appreciate what you have. And believe me, your life today is somebody else in this world's dream. From the least person in this room. There are people in nations and world that would give anything to have what you have to be where you are. Somebody wishes they had that. And yet, perhaps you have no respect or no regard for what you've been given. And it's true, you don't know what you've got till you lose it. Joe Tex used to sing that in a song, too. Any of my brothers in soul remember Joe Tex? Verse, that's funny, these little horses run right by my eyes in my head from the songs of the past because they're based on truth. They really are. Verse 15 and 17 in the Message Bible. He signed on with a citizen who assigned him to slop the pigs. He was so hungry he would have eaten pig food, but nobody would give him any. And it brought him to his senses. Sometimes, I wish it was all the time, lack, want, need, and hunger can wake you up to reality. And you sober up. And all of a sudden, life becomes real to you. Just like the same way a man is drunk, he loses perspective and sound judgment. So, a little bit of hunger is good for you. And when hunger gripped, the boy, gripped him, he started to think straight. He said, what am I doing here? In my daddy's house, servants eat better than me. They get three good meals a day. And look at me. I'm begging to eat some pig food. Now, what I love about this young man is that he was humble enough to get up and go back and reconnect. When he left home, he left home saying, give me. And when he comes back home to reconnect, he says, make me. Are you a give me Christian or a make me Christian? And if you're a give me Christian, you won't last long. And notice the father wasn't waiting to rub in the mistake saying, I told you so. It says, while the kid was a long way off, the dad ran to meet the son, embraced him, kissed him. He commanded the servants to get the robe, the ring, the credit card, the sandals, keys to the car, kill the fatted calf, call everybody in, let's have a party. And the one who began to be in want now began to be merry. What was the difference? He reconnected where God had him connected and he was bold enough, humble enough to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. If you can do that, even if the people don't want you back, God will bless you. But you go back and say, I was wrong. It could be to an ex-wife or mate or anybody, a husband. And you say, what I did, my choices were all wrong. I can't change the past, but I can humble myself and admit I was wrong. And I, in some cases, it's possible to reconnect. In all cases, it's not. But in all cases, God will bless you and give you favor and not limit your future. But most people want to save face and don't have enough guts or courage to backtrack and find out where they disconnected and apologize. I heard one guy say, who left years ago, he said to other friends, he was a professional uh, in a career, and he just said, that's the worst mistake I ever made in my life. He, He bounced around to five churches and then moved out of state. He said, I never should have disconnected. Well, why didn't you just say it? Sorry. Make a mistake, I make a mistake, so take, take, take the fall, take the hit. I don't want to miss my future. And God says, if you'll humble yourself, I'll exalt you. Think about that. You don't lose when you humble yourself. God says, I, you exalt yourself and I'll humble you. I don't want any part of that. God can do a better job at humbling me than I can. I don't want Him to have to do that. I want the, the exalt in part, I'll do the humbling part. I was wrong, honey, please forgive me or going back to somebody, and the way you acted or treated them, and say, I know it's been many years, but I'm convicted that I did the wrong thing. Maybe I treated you wrong. I responded wrong. I'm sorry. I hope in your heart at some place you could forgive me. I know we can't make it back what it was, but at least I want you to know I know my bad. My bad. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Boy, God, boom, He'll come in and bless you like that. Do your best to reconnect. And I always respect people for a courageous decision because it takes guts to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. And the average person, even when they know they're wrong, they want to save face and they won't do it. That's terrible. But when you return to a God-ordained connection, it doesn't make you look small. It makes you look big. And you're back home. Finally, last, notice the father started a restoration process. But before the father could begin, the boy had to be willing to reconnect. You can't help or restore somebody until they're willing to reconnect. And those who try to save face and refuse to reconnect, even when they know they've made a bad mistake, never, ever escape the pig pen of life. They're going to heaven, but life just doesn't go well for them. Some might sustain life and get by, but... You can tell when you meet them or talk to them, a portion of destiny's been forfeited, and you know something's missing. What could have been, what should have been, has been thrown away. Last thought. You can leave without physically disconnecting. Um, It says the prodigal went to a far country. I've discovered in relationships— In marriage, distance is not measured in miles. You can sleep in the same bed, share the same address, and be miles apart. Legally married, but divorced in spirit. Or you can sit on the front row of a church and be far away, but usually people sort of move to the back before they go out. Scripture says that after Jesus was arrested, Peter followed Jesus from a distance. That was the first step. Before then, he next denied knowing Jesus three times. The solution? Come home in your marriage, in your relationships, in your church. Reconnect. If you've gone far from God, come back and reconnect. Rededicate that life to God's purpose. He's not going to beat you up. He loves you. And maybe some of you need to reconnect with God. You've drifted way off course. Instead of going into guilt, shame, and condemnation, Repent. All repent means is just, I'm going this way, I just turn around, and I'm going the right way. To repent means to to turn around. It's a simple thing, right? Re-establish a God-ordained connection when you can. Thanks for joining us today, and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.